welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us in Philemon for a message titled, Charge What He Owes to Me by Pastor Ben Pitney. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. It's amazing how a lack of forgiveness will um, affect your sleep. Have you noticed that? Where uh, you just have nightmares and uh, I, what kind of things affect your sleep? Have you thought through that? Oh, just stressful things during the daytime usually affect how we sleep at night. I mean, it's not as much about caffeine as we think it is most of the time. I think we blame it on caffeine. And, but I, I just think there's all kinds of stuff in our life that's unresolved that um, keeps us from sleeping. I mean, he, he talked about that, how it's like, hey, I forgive these guys, and it's the first time I just slept all the way through, right? It, it's not always like that, but unforgiveness, a lack of forgiveness, really um, does things to us. It really does. I believe that forgiveness is given not gotten. We, we, we always kind of turn it around. We believe that forgiveness is gotten. Um, we're going to talk about forgiveness um, quite a bit today. It's going to be really good. Last week, we talked about mercy. This week, we will work through forgiveness. And I think these two qualities are intertwined. They're interlinked. They're un, in, inseparable. Mercy and forgiveness. And it's truly my thinking that we are most like God when we forgive. We're most like God when we forgive. And so let's just talk about this unforgiveness just for a little bit. What, what kind of things naturally result from not being forgiven? Because we know that we should forgive, don't we? I mean, we know naturally we should be people that forgive. If you're, if you're here today, it's sort of just naturally built into you. But then... There is the Christ follower um, effect, right? The follower of Jesus effect that truly transforms and changes us. So we know that unforgiveness affects us. What are the consequences of that? Just really quickly, unforgiveness imprisons you in the past. Have you noticed how that works too? It, it imprisons you in the past. One of the best ways that I know of in order to punish my spouse is to reach into the past and drag something that has supposedly been forgiven or resolved and bring it right to the front, right into the now and the present. It's so punishing. It's so hurtful. It's so painful. Because when you resolve a conflict, you're, it's supposed to be done and resolved and reconciled. It's over. It's, it's gone, Right? So how, how, well, how else could you hurt your spouse the most? Or how could you hurt your spouse the most? Drag it out from the past and bring it right into the front and the center of things, right? And remind uh, somebody of pain. That, that's a result of not actually being forgiven. I think the silent treatment is, the, is, a, uh, is a really good one, but this is probably better, right? Okay, how about this? Unforgiveness produces bitterness. So yeah, 
when there's when when you when you don't let go, uh, eventually it just it, it it turns into bitterness. It turns into anger. It turns into all kinds of things, and you start to develop a list, right? And here, uh, there, there, it's always people, you know, that have done something to hurt you or disappoint you. They've they, they've abandoned you. They've been disloyal. They whatever, okay? And it and and it bothers you to the point where, it, without forgiveness, it just becomes bitterness. It just takes a little bit, and then over time, it just that root grabs a hold and it turns into anger and total dysfunction and and. Uh, Man, I don't know. People don't want to be around bitter people. You know, when you get ready to have a party, uh, are you looking for all the bitter people to invite to the party? <laughs> no. Here we go. Um, unforgiveness gives Satan an open door, of course. I mean, he's brilliant. Remember that, and we're, we're not going to talk about this much today, but Satan is, has been created by God. He's got um, unbelievable abilities and, and he's brilliant right so uh, but we we make him more brilliant than than he actually is by giving him doors little cracks to get into and then work his way right and 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 all he needs is a little open door and wow he can run with it and divide and become super divisive you know oh he's great at doing that and we just like Give, lead him the way. Just provide the door all the time, I think, without realizing. And we want to, you know, we want to justify all kinds of things. But we, we just open the door right up for him. And um, finally, unforgiveness hinders your fellowship with God. So if we are most like God and we forgive, then, then unforgiveness is the, just the polar opposite of God. So, so why would we be in fellowship with God when we are acting and being the, 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 the polar opposite of who God is, right? One of the reasons why we know that God gave us his only son is to make a way for forgiveness and providing freedom. Why? Because sin cannot be in God's presence. He's perfect and holy and, and, and sin can't be in his presence. Well, what is unforgiveness? It's, it's sin. And so it, it, it divides us from God. It, it's, it's divisive and it hinders us. And a lot of times, you know, people will say, well, I, I just feel like my prayers just can't get past the ceiling and things like this. And it's because there's this junk clogging up or standing between you and God all the time that they get in the way of fellowship and, and um, relationship. And unforgiveness does, uh, does that. Well, let's look at then turning your Bible to this little letter, this little book called Philemon. So Philemon is in the New Testament. If you find Colossians and Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, Peter, John, Jude, Revelation. So Philemon, it's a one-page letter in your Bible. It's really cool. We're going to read this and draw the truth out of the text, just like always. It's so personal and so good. Uh, I want you to follow along with me. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of dissect it um, together. You know, when, uh, if, you're, if you go to school as a pastor in seminary, uh, 
and studying to teach and things like that. Philemon is this it is a is a little letter and a book that's used a lot to help guys learn how to how to teach in in an expository way and and really set it up because Paul's so brilliant in the way he's designed things and it's a great letter to practice just good principles of laying things out and dissecting things as a teacher and so um can't believe how many times I've worked through this and um just get so distracted by how much I need to learn versus, I mean, to learn about actually forgiveness versus learn about how to teach. Starts out with just a typical greeting. Here it goes in verse one. From Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-laborer, to Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I always thank my God and as I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that the faith you share with us may deepen your understanding of every blessing that belongs to you in Christ. I've had great joy and encouragement because of your love for the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Verse 8, so, although I have quite a lot of confidence in Christ and could command you to do what is proper, I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. I, Paul, an old man and even now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus, I'm appealing to you concerning my child whose spiritual father I've become during my imprisonment, that is, Onesimus who was formerly useless to you, but is now useful to you and me. That, you you really should underline that part of verse 11. Formerly useless to you, but but now is useful to you and me. Because there's there's a reason why you should underline that. That's a good study point, and I'll point that out later. Verse 12, he says, I've sent him. And then there's a little commentary there. Who is my very heart? It's just a description of what he's trying to, described there, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he could serve me in your place during my imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. However, without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your good deed would not be out of compulsion, but from your own willingness. For perhaps it was for this reason that he was separated from you for a little while so that you would have him back eternally, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dear brother. He's especially so to me, and even more so to you now, both humanly speaking and in the Lord. Therefore, if you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. Now, if he's defrauded you in anything or owes you anything, Charge what he owes to me. If you don't underline that, if I was sitting next to you, I would. I mean, that's, that's powerful right there. Just while I'm reading that, it makes me want to pause. Verse 19, I, Paul, have written this letter with my own hand. I'll repay it. I could also mention that you owe me your 
very self. Yes, brother, let me have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I was confident that you would obey, I wrote to you because I knew that you would do even more than what I'm asking you to do. At the same time, also prepare a place for me to stay for I hope that through your prayers, I'll be given back to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-laborers, greet you too. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is fantastic. You know, when I try to help married couples in particular who are in conflict and there's a lot of hurt and frustration and difficulty uh, in their marriage um, to the point where they're just ready to throw in the towel. A lot of times people come and see me when that's happening and it's like, well, we'll, we'll try one last time kind of thing, you know. And I always tell people I don't have any magic beans or pills. And um, you took this long to mess it all up. So how long do you think it's going to take to fix it? I'm going to straighten things out, you know. I try to be really sober with people. One of the tools I try to give people is I ask them to write letters to each other. You know, there's something amazing about just a personal handwritten note or letter or a card I don't know it, how you process it, but I think you're like me, like most people. When I get something handwritten in particular, I read it. It's important to me. I'm, I feel automatically that it is personal and thoughtful. You don't have to say all the right things. You don't have to do all the right. You don't have to be a poet. If you just say something, though, in a handwritten form, it's, I'm, it's meaningful, so that's why I use this technique, so to speak. It's simple. With couples, you start writing back to each other and you start, you're listening. You can be thoughtful. You're not caught off guard. You don't have to, you know, especially with a guy, you know, you fumble around with your words maybe in person, but you can be a little more thoughtful on paper. And uh, even if you plagiarize thoughts, it's acceptable, Right? I mean, who likes a card from Hallmark that somebody else said and got paid to put on the card and then they sign their name on it? I don't, I don't know. I'd rather have a blank card, brown, no flowers on it, but something handwritten that says, hey, I was thinking about you and this is why. That's personal. That's meaningful. That's, that's what's happening right here. This is a bigger deal than you might think. I mean, Paul writes plenty of letters. Of all Paul's 13 letters including, included in the New Testament, he writes 13. Philemon is the shortest. In fact, it's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's not a note. It's a little bit more like a postcard, whatever you want to think. But it's just a short little letter. It has the personal tone of an intercessory prayer. It's personal. He writes all these other letters, but this is a, only one to a person. All the other letters are specific to specific churches about specific problems, and they're meant to be read aloud and disseminated and copied, and everybody's supposed to know it. But this is a personal letter to a guy. Written from Rome, 
this brief encouragement. It's an appeal. It's addressed to a slave owner living in Colossae named Philemon. So there's a church there, and it meets in his house, Philemon. And Philemon is a big part of this. Paul encourages this guy to reinstate Onesimus, his slave. Philemon's runaway slave who'd become a Christ follower through Paul's ministry. It's hard to be around Paul and not come to Jesus. In this short letter, there's a message for everybody here. Everybody. It applies to all of us. Let's look at the background. That's my first point. Paul, Paul's arrested in Jerusalem following his third missionary journey. So we know that he has all these, does all these missionary journeys. He plants church, he leads people to Christ, establishes churches, right? I mean, he's a magnificent church planner and missionary. So he's got all these journeys, um, three in particular, following this third missionary journey, he gets arrested after several trials spanning over about two year period in his life. He's transported to Rome. And, and so this is where he is awaiting uh, a hearing before Caesar. You can read about that in Acts chapter 28. But he's able to present the gospel to his guards and everybody who visit him. And this is why he's always full of joy while he's in prison. It's crazy. But he's like, all right, I have a captivated audience, so they got to listen to me whether they like it or not. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And lo and behold, they come to Jesus, these people. There's plenty of great stories there. He's having to rent his living space so it's, it's a civil, kind of a civil um, arrest, but he's still in prison. I, I, I f- kind of feel like that's the way it should be when you're in prison. You should have to rent your space. It just sounds appropriate. I don't know how he did it, but that's what he's having to do, right? So here's where we are. There's an estimated 60 million slaves that inhabit the Roman Empire at this time. 60 million slaves. Now, this is something that's kind of misunderstood a lot, and we don't connect with it very well, and we got an idea of what we think slavery is based on our country and our history, but slavery is something that uh, you got to work at kind of understanding the context. I'm just going to try to lay a little bit out for you what's going on because it's helpful to the story. So one of those, first you got to talk about Roman law. And so, you know, Paul's a Roman citizen, but he's also a Hebrew. All right. He's a Hebrew. And so he's, he's, able to live in sort of these both worlds of being a Roman citizen and yet understanding the Mosaic law too. So there's 60 million slaves. One of these guys is Onesimus. In the early days of the empire of Rome, slaves living under Roman jurisdiction are offered very little protection from the impulse of uh, their master. The master could pretty much do anything he wanted. A slave was absolutely at the master's disposal for the smallest offense. He could be whipped, he could be mutilated, he could be crucified, he could be thrown in captivity with animals and who knows what would happen, right? Even the Greek philosopher Aristotle referred to a slave at the time as simply a living instrument. But the first century slavery, it, it made some significant strides. It's not perfect. They, they did some things. Certain protective legislation had been passed 
that had resulted in distinctions that all men being free or slaves were human beings. That sounds like, what? Remember the context. So this, the, the, there's some strides there, but it's not all that awesome. That's true. It's about, you know, I was trying to think, you know, how, does it, how can we connect this? The, these laws that have been passed would be um, like, uh, at best, our laws that protect animals. Okay. Animals have rights in our country more than you might think. <laughs> so anyway, although seen as commodities and possessions, slaves were often educated. They were taught a trade. They were turned into useful members of society and sometimes even freed. But and we need to look at Hebrew law too, since Paul's a Hebrew. So the Mosaic legislation concerning slavery, it's got to be included in the context. Hebrew laws regarding slavery were actually very human. According to Jeremiah 34, permanent enslavement of of Hebrew men and women was strictly forbidden and denounced as sin as such, as, as sin of such severity that it would bring about national disaster. So this is a big deal. Laws regarding the redemption of slaves were explicit and slaves could not be kept more than six years without their consent. So there's a whole set of laws regarding slaves and that, it, that was a part of the culture. So according to Leviticus 25, the Hebrews were permitted to buy Gentile slaves. This is why Philemon has slaves. It's just a part of their culture. We're not going to get into that too much, but... But um, those slaves could then become personal property of even Hebrews and could be inherited by their children. But the owner's power over slaves was strictly limited by law, Mosaic law. If slaves were punished in such a way as to cause permanent bodily injury, they gained their freedom as compensation. We can read about that in Exodus 21. If the owner uh, um, disciplined a slave and, and it was severe enough to cause the death of a slave, the owner was treated as a murderer. So contrary to Roman jurisdiction, the spirit that characterized Jewish slavery was a spirit of humanity. Let's look at the background, though. We'll come back to slavery a little bit, but you got to kind of look through the context a little bit, and, and let's see some other things. The background, there's two major conflicts or main conflicts, I think, in Philemon. There's a conflict of persons and a conflict of principles. This is a conflict between people and principles. And these are the two things that Paul points out, and he's brilliant at it. Let's look at the conflict, I'm going to call it the Philemon Onesimus conflict. Because this is people, and we're all people. So we can gather so much from this. So after Onesimus unshackles himself from Philemon, he runs, he escapes, he gets away. Onesimus fled to Rome for refuge. So Rome is 1,200 miles away from Philemon. That is a long way. What is 1,200 miles from here? How about Nashville, Tennessee? That's how far. 
That's huge. Somebody just Googled that for me because I, I didn't actually look that up. I'm like, how far away? That, that's a long ways, right? And there was, he didn't hop on the plane or a train. So, okay. Now, it's a long ways away, so to finance his journey, he probably stole something. All you got to do is look at verse 18. At the very least, his leaving Philemon cost Philemon the price that Philemon had paid for the slave. So why are you pointing that out? So when Onesimus left, what he left behind was not only a broken relationship, but an unresolved debt. And we haven't even talked about Uh, what he stole or how he stole it or anything like that. Let's look at the second conflict, the conversion forgiveness conflict. Because this is huge, right? After he's converted by Paul in verse 10, he's converted, he becomes a believer. Onesimus, undoubtedly with Paul's help, had resolved the conflict in his own mind as to whether or not he would return to his owner. So in Paul's encouraging appeal, on behalf of Onesimus, Paul addresses the conflict whether or not Philemon will forgive the repentant slave and accept him as a brother in the faith. Now, there's all kinds of things here that I would love to rabbit trail on. Like, how in the world do you find Paul in the middle of this city with, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and you're a slave, and you can't just move around. Just, I mean, it's kind of crazy. How does he get there? Is he, how, well, I don't know. Does he end up in prison too? Or what in the world? I mean, this is unbelievable. Did he know him from before? Maybe he did because Philemon and Paul know each other. I mean, it's crazy how these two come together. Maybe Onesimus sought him out. Who knows? It doesn't really say, but it, it, there's enough mystery there to where you just go, well, of course, God's totally involved in this absolutely involved in this. It's amazing. So just because of that, it makes me want to sit up and pay attention because it's, it's like God is saying, I really, really want you to understand this. And I mean, Paul's brilliant and all that. And we know that everybody comes in his, into his world has to reckon with Jesus. But I want you to pay attention to this story in particular. All this stuff, you start putting it together. It's personal. He writes 13 letters, but only one like this. Man. All right. So let's get to the explanation of things. As you start to read this short letter, you can't help but notice the addresser and the addressee. That's first, right? So the, he starts out with this traditional thing. It's called a greeting and, 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 a, and a salutation. And it begins humbly and affectionately, as it should. I mean, I think this has changed Paul and it's changed Onesimus. He's humble and he's affectionate. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. So, from Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-labor. Look at all those things. Aphia, our sister, Archibus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. I mean, he includes everything. It's all formal. It's all good, but it's humble. Grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, sincerity, humility. Paul refers to himself as being a prisoner of Jesus, <laughs> a prisoner of Jesus, right? 
He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. <laughs> I'm a prisoner of Jesus. He's the one that's got me. His approach, it's meek, it's lowly, it's humble. It's like the one that he serves. It's like Jesus. I think there's some cool things going on there. Philemon's a convert of Paul's like Onesimus, and so he refers to him as a, as a dear friend and a co-laborer, or later a brother. We're highly connected. We've spilt some blood together kind of thing. We know what everything is. We know all of this, right? We get it. So Philemon, he's a convert, so he tugs on that right away. Philemon uses home for uh, the meeting place of a church where apparently Aphia who was probably his wife, by the way. It's really hard to, to see that she's not. It's, it's a personal letter, right? Aphia is probably his wife, and Archibald is probably his son. They both assisted in ministry. but So whether it's his wife and, and son, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. This, these are people that are doing ministry together in their house. He's probably a wealthy guy because uh, you got to have a house big enough for church, all right? So... In verse 3, Paul wishes his fellow worker grace and peace. He brings it back to grace and peace because that's what it's always about. Both words, they strengthen his plea. He appeals to the father um, and son, God the father, God the son, to show grace and peace to Philemon. So his appeal is based on grace and peace. He should show Onesimus grace and peace. And then he moves on in verses four through seven to appreciate and, and make a request of Philemon. This is why verses four through seven refer to Philemon as, he, he refers to Philemon as a dear friend and a co-laborer. It's intimate. Look at verse four. I always think, my God, as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that the, the, the faith you share with us may deepen your understanding of every blessing that belongs to you in Christ. I've had great joy of encouragement because of your love, for the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So I, now look, you know, I, I don't think there's any doubt that he's, it's not like he's buttering him up, but he is. Encouraging. If you're going to ask somebody for something, I mean, you just, it's going to be a jerk and then ask. I mean, he's being encouraging and he's trying to be kind and respectful. And of course, there's a little psychology going on here. We're talking about a really smart guy. That's what I would do. Philemon's home, it's an oasis of refreshment, so he's complimenting him about that to the believers who worship there. And his, his love reached 1,200 miles across the Roman Empire, you know, to fill Paul with comfort and joy. So having commended Philemon, you know, he, 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 he's got an appeal in verses 8 through 10. Then he asks. And Paul doesn't pull rank on Philemon by unfolding his credentials as an apostle, which he totally could have. He appeals to him on the basis of love. Let's talk about what really matters. You know, that's why he's utilizing all this terminology about grace, peace, their relationship, love. We're brothers in Christ. 
Look at verses 8, 9, and 10. So although I have quite a lot of confidence in Christ and could command you to do what's proper, I'd rather appeal to you on the basis of love. I, Paul, an old man, even now, prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ, I'm appealing to you concerning my child. Look look at the language he's using here. Whose spiritual father I've become during my imprisonment. That is Onesimus. And he's setting him up a little bit on purpose, but it's all facts. Onesimus, and this is brilliant. This is brilliant. Onesimus, a name which is grated over Philemon's tongue. He's just got nothing good to think about when it comes to Philemon. He's left a bitter aftertaste because of disloyalty and desertion, right? Paul mentions him here for the first time, and he sweetens up his words with the phrase, my child, you know, when the politicians really want to tug on your heart, you know what they start talking about? The children. When we talk about the border crisis, what do we talk about down there? It's always about the children. I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but believe me, they're brilliant too and tugging on our hearts, okay? They all do. Whenever they want to talk about something really that they want you to believe in, then they start bringing the kids into it. Now, I think Paul is sincere, but he's calling him his child for good factual reasons, whose spiritual father I've become during my imprisonment. So Paul is a guy who rarely asks for favors. He doesn't do it. You can't find him asking for favors. But in this letter, he doesn't ask for a favor for himself. He asks one on behalf of Onesimus. He asks one for him. He's taken a wrong turn in his life, this guy Onesimus, so Paul's helping him find his way back. And in verse 11, Paul reveals to Philemon the change that had taken place in his life as a result of his new birth in Jesus, right? So look at verse 11, who was formerly useless to you, but is now useful to you and me. I told you this is important. We're going to get to that because the verses that follow provide the detail some before and some after, it's, it's the details of a picture of this guy, Onesimus, and who is a slave. Look at the picture, verses 12 through 18. I've sent him, who's my very heart. I mean, that describes something to you, right? Back to you. Why is it his very heart? Well, this is what Paul's all about. People come to Jesus. This is the center of who I am. I've sent this guy to you who represents what we're all about. Verse 13, I wanted to keep him so that he could serve me in your place during my imprisonment for the sake of the gospel because it's about that or nothing. That's what we're all about, see? However, without your consent, I didn't want to do anything so that your good deed would not be out of compulsion, but from your own willingness because this is about the gospel and I want to make sure that you understand and you, you know, and that you can you're a part of this, <laughs> okay? Man, he's smart. Verse 15, for perhaps it was for this reason that he was separated you for a little while so that you would have him back eternally. <laughs> well, you start saying it that way. Dang, no longer a slave, but more than a slave as a dear brother. He is especially so to me, even more so to you now, both humanly speaking and in the Lord. So there's that word, therefore, so in light of all this, man, 
If you regard me as a partner, so he's tugging on his relationship, that's true. Accept him as you would me. Now, if he's defrauded you of anything or owes you anything, charge what he owes to me. Just twist it a little hard right there, and then you go, yeah, why? Because you're bitter? No, because... Because you're right. <laughs> Man. You know what I'm going to say right after that? No. No. I got this. You know, you're thinking, Philemon's going, all right, send me a check. I mean, he stole all my wife's jewelry. You know, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Anyway, the only picture of Onesimus that Philemon had in his mind up to this point is the useless picture, the past, the runaway, verse 15, the thief, verse 18. Man, there's nothing that violates your person more than having people steal stuff from you. You know, recently I got my truck broke into. They busted out the window and they broke into my truck and they stole my briefcase and my laptop and all kinds of stuff that was in that laptop. And, you know, a, a whole career worth of, worth of my pastoral career. Good thing it was in the cloud, right? But all, everything else, you know, all, that, all these little personal things in my um, briefcase, so violating. Plus, you messed with my truck. Man. Oh, so mad. This is Philemon. That's the picture he's got. The most recent picture, however, shows a radical change to Nisimus. The picture Paul has in front of him is useful in Nisimus. A servant for the gospel. Verse 13, verse 16, a brother. It's the basis of this picture that Paul pleads with Philemon to forgive Onesimus and accept him into his home. Because I'm going, no, you... I'm not letting you back in my house. You ready to let you, the thieves back in your house? Come on. According to, though, this is, this is awesome about Rome. <laughs> this is so great. According to a clause in Roman law that Paul obviously knows, because he's a Roman and he's smart and he's educated, it, there's, there's a clause known as advocacy. So a runaway slave could return to his master if he first went to his master's friend and secured support for his cause. Now, maybe Onesimus knew about this. Maybe he didn't. Maybe that's why he went to Paul. Who knows? It's pretty awesome, though, because then the friend then became the advocate or the mediator who appealed to the slave owner for grace and understanding. You think God is involved in this? Of course he is. There's even some instances where a slave owner accepted the slave back, but not only that, adopted the slave into his family. So apparently this clause clause is what verses 15 and 16 refers to, uh, uh, refers to Paul's hopes Philemon will accept Onesimus, right? With open arms and uh, of a brother, not only in a spiritual sense in the Lord, but, but in the physical sense as well, in the flesh. They all know about this. 
Oh, it's brilliant. God's brilliant. Let's keep moving on because let's, let's get to the promise and the conclusion right here. Because you know the story of the Good Samaritan, and I don't have to go back and remind you of that story. Most of you just totally know that, right? The Good Samaritan was willing to obligate himself financially for the care of a man who had fallen among robbers. Somebody who was um, uh, an enemy of the Samaritans. So Paul is willing to put his money where his faith is and offering to repay the debt of Onesimus owed Philemon. I think it's pretty sweet. Has anybody paid for something for you, a debt, wiped it clean? Ah, don't worry about it. I got it. It's good. It's a great feeling, isn't it? It's very humbling. It's powerful. That kind of thing gets around. Verse 19, 20, I, Paul, have written this letter in my own hand. There's that personal. I'm writing this. I mean, he had scribes and maybe he had terrible handwriting. I don't know. But he said, no, this is coming from me to you. I'll repay it. I could also mention that you owe me your very self. You remember when you came to Jesus... Come on now. Yes, brother, let me have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart. What's he saying there? That's kind of crazy. It's also brilliant. Paul uses a subtle play on words in verse 20. There's a subtle play there. The word benefit is the root word of Onesimus' name. His name means benefit. <laughs> Essentially, Paul's saying, I'm sending Onesimus to you, my dear friend. All debts paid. Now, let me in return receive the benefit of refreshment in the form of this act with Onesimus. We both benefit. Everybody benefits. It's all benefit. It's all good. Oh, it's so good. So he... He then, in verses 21 through 24, he concludes his letter with a few closing remarks and some personal greetings from other people. And you can't just, you know, wash over the personal greetings either. They're, they're, they're powerful as well. So look at, look at what he says, verse 21. Since I, I was confident that you would obey. I, I mean, come on, I know you. We're connected. I, I, I wrote to you because I knew that you, you do even more than what I'm asking you to do. Because you get it, man. And the same, and at the same time, prepare a place for me to stay. For I hope that through your prayers, I'll, I'll, I will be given back to you. Coming to see you. <laughs> oh, so, I don't know. Is that a little way of saying, get things straight because I'm coming I don't know. It's just super smart. <laughs> Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Philemon knows Epaphras. Because they're, they're in it together. They're partners in the gospel. They get it. Look at how he just throws all the heavyweights in there. Mark. Mark and Paul ever have any conflicts and needed working out in forgiveness? You think everybody didn't know about that? Everybody knows everything at church. Mark, Archip, Aristarchus. These are all like people bringing it with the gospel. Demas, Luke. They're all there. 
He's winging all these in there right at the end, isn't he? Lumping it all together. I mean, you think everybody don't know? My co-laborers greet you, dude. But he ends it so sweet. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So in verse 25, it's a PS. It's powerful. Start out with grace. We end with grace because it's all about grace. So when you go through the New Testament, all the letters, you might expect to maybe find something from Philemon in reply, but no, nothing. It's not there. It's nowhere to be found. Not because, I, I don't know. Who knows why? It's not there. This is the only personal letter we get. But a church leader named Ignatius, writing 50 years later, that guy, 50 years later, in a letter to the Ephesians in that church, addressed this wonderful guy, this pastor, so to speak. He talks about this guy, a pastor. His name, Onesimus. 50 years later. In this letter, Ignatius refers to Onesimus like this, as the one who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful to both you and me. Did it get around? What happened? What happened? Obviously, awesome things. He uses the very, you can look for yourself, it's the very same Greek words that appear in verse 11 of Philemon. Exactly. So what does this have to do with me? It'll, it happens really quickly. This ancient letter, it's got present day relevance. It's got olive oil all of our names on it. Here you go. Every Christ follower was once a fugitive. That's everybody. Every Christ follower was once enslaved to sin. How does this apply to me? We were all enslaved in sin. From birth, we were all runaways like sheep. We had all gone astray. You can find that in Isaiah 53. That's us. That's how it applies to us. We're all anonymous. How does this apply to me? Well, our guilt is great or was great and our penalty was severe. What's the penalty for all this? This guilt, this endless gnawing in our conscience and emptiness, longing to be filled, right? That hole in our hearts. The penalty is death. And so like Solomon, we're just, we were just like Solomon in the way that he tried to do everything and anything, wine, women, song, wisdom, laughter, building projects, Try everything under the sun to fill this emptiness in our life. We're just like that, right? We find nothing to fill the God-shaped vacuum inside of us until grace allowed the right of appeal. Such a great clause, isn't it? You think that's there by accident in Roman law? <laughs> Come on. Alone in our own death and our own imprisonment, we wait for our sentence to be carried out. But pleading to have our case appealed, you know, that's where we were all before we come to Jesus, right? Jesus stands before the Father, the judge, and mediates on our behalf. 
because there's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Jesus, Jesus Christ. And last, Christ paid the debt for our sin like Paul. Jesus said to what? Charge the debt to me. Charge what he owes to me. That's what Jesus does for us. That's how it applies. It's the most applicable thing there is, right? We are most like God when we forgive. Should you forgive? Absolutely. It's the essence of who God is, so it's the essence of who a Christ follower is. You can't get away from it. Mercy and forgiveness are who God is, and that's who we're supposed to be. So we're going to bow your head in just a second. I'll just tell you what you should be praying about, (laughs) okay? Who's on your list? Where do you need to give forgiveness? I mean, if you came here today, came here to worship, to be encouraged, to connect, to learn some things, to be inspired and motivated, well, here's how it applies to you and I today. It'd be such a shame to walk away from here and not do some business with God. So bow your head with me. Father, there's all kinds of people that we need to be forgiving with and we hold on to those a lot. So I'm praying, God, that you might change us in everything that's going on in our life right now and change us so that in the future we're different kind of people regarding forgiveness as well. So I'm praying, God, that you would do a work in each of our hearts personally and be forgiving. Thank you for charging what we owe to your account through your son, Jesus. That's huge. That's why we're free. Help us to be people that charge other people's debt to our account. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.bailchristian.com.